The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Today we're starting our new series. Uh, it's called Gift Exchange. And uh, what we're going to do over the next four weeks is uh, we're going to take different ideas and different things that we deal with during the holidays and kind of... Uh, do like we do sometimes in these parties, you know, you ever go to a party where you have to do some exchange, some people sell, call it secret Santa, um, ugly Santa, I don't, I don't know, whatever, just whatever they call it, they, there's lots of different names for it, but there's a gift exchange that takes place, and so what we're, we're talking about today is an exchange from despair to hope. And so we're going to be looking at scripture that kind of discusses that a little bit, the idea of going from a time of despair in your life to a time of hope and where we can find true hope. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been involved in a number of these gift exchanges over the years. Being a youth pastor for over 20 years, there's been tons of white elephant gifts. And I can't mention some of the things that were exchanged over the years, some that were really embarrassing for like a freshman guy, and uh, just, just really uh, interesting gifts that have been exchanged. There, there was one time in college, I remember going to a party, and we were doing this exchange thing, and there's not many rules when it comes to uh, parties in college and gift exchanges. So I remember thinking, I'm going to have the best gift ever to exchange, and I really hope I get to taken home. And basically it was just a, a big bottle of aerosol hairspray with a lighter tape. And uh, it was an amazing gift. And whoever got it, I made sure that, that he and I had some fun with that later uh, at my friend's house. He was missing a few items uh, that evening. But there was another gift exchange that I, I got my daughter in on the process. I think there's a picture of it up here. Yeah. So this was Sydney. This is our oldest. She's now 14. So when I was looking at this picture, I felt really old. Uh, but this is Sydney. And I got her in on the action. And basically what we did was I stole this off the internet. And you can steal this too if you want. You get a box of chocolates and you eat, just take a bite of half of a chocolate and put it back in the box. Then you take a picture of yourself doing it and tape it to the inside of the box so that when they open it up, they see it half eaten and uh, there it is. Some of you are writing that idea down. I see see that. So gift exchanges, there's lots of opportunity for exchanging gifts. And although oftentimes these opportunities bring joy, we understand in this room, we're not naive to think that the holidays are all about joy. Although we would love them to be all about joy, there's often a lot of despair and heartache that take place over the holidays. And despair, it causes us to question God's faithfulness, often leaving us without hope. There's an article in uh, Citizen Magazine that states, in a recent online survey of more than 1,000 adults conducted by the AARP Foundation, a shocking 30% indicated they experienced feelings of loneliness during the holiday season over the last couple of years. Furthermore, people who suffer from depression often report more feelings of anxiety and helplessness during this time. And then, uh, to put it more bluntly, a friend of mine I play basketball with, I saw this on Facebook the other day, he basically just said, Thanksgiving isn't even a thing anymore because families are no longer a thing anymore. And this is a a 25-year-old man saying this. 
And so we think about despair in the holidays, we think about difficulty, we think about struggle and pain. And we all understand that happens. We're, we're mourning the loss of, of lots of different people, including our pastor this holiday season. And so there's despair all around us. So oftentimes, some of us, maybe people like myself, who like to see the glass half full, we just take that despair and kind of push it aside and bury it down, right? You're supposed to be smiling this holiday season, right? We're supposed to be happy. And burying it really isn't helpful, but then some that see the glass half empty, all you want to do is bring it up, right? And then that half full person is like, hey, could you calm it down over here? And so there's a struggle between despair and hope that we often have. And one of the greatest leaders in all the Bible often struggled with thoughts of despair and pain. David struggled as a result of poor decisions, people wanting to kill him. You might struggle if you had that issue. A messed up family, expectations, being chosen by God, all these different things that cause David oftentimes to write about despair. If you read the book of Psalms, you can see it all throughout the book of Psalms that he wrote. The chapters he wrote oftentimes were Psalms of despair and difficulty. Psalm 42 Verses 5, 11, and then jumping over to 43, 5, he says these identical words. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? So he's having a conversation with himself. And I love the fact that he actually answers himself. He doesn't leave it there. He says, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is repeated three times in these two chapters. And David finds himself struggling in despair. He finds himself with people chasing after him, literally trying to kill him. And yet he finds this hope. He finds this ability to say, God, you are the God of my salvation. I'm gonna rest in you. We want you to know this morning, just like a few weeks ago when we were talking about addiction and the struggles of addiction, we want you to know today, those of you that are struggling in despair and struggling in this depression and anxiety, that you're not alone. That God has given you people around you here in the body of Christ to say, you are not alone. There is help. We have the availability of counselors, of people who are here to help. People simply feel alone and they need someone to share their burdens. And I asked a friend of ours, a friend in the body of Christ to, to come up and maybe share her story and uh, share her story of how God has brought her uh, from despair to a new hope. So Kim, why don't you come on up and, and why don't you guys welcome her uh, to the stage today. Hi, good morning. My name is Kim, and I was asked if I'd be willing to share a little, little bit of my testimony with you today. So the message that we're, we're talking about today at church um, is one of going from a place of despair to a place of hope, of which I can most definitely relate. There have been several times in my life where I've faced the deep and painful feelings of hopelessness, depression, and despair. 
times of great brokenness before God where I've realized that there's nothing that I have in and of myself that I can bring to the table to fix myself or to change my circumstances around me. The first area in which this became evident in my life was after my husband and I first got married and we decided that we would like to have a family. After trying for years on our own to have a child, we finally got pregnant and then we suffered the painful loss of our child through miscarriage. After walking through that, we sought the help of an infertility specialist. Long story short, we were told by the doctors that we would never be able to have children. Which, as a side note, what medical science could not provide for us, God later did provide for us, much to our great surprise. To the praise of his glory, we now have a little girl, our beautiful Hannah, who is six years old. But at that time, it was a very dark and lonely time for me of crying out to God, in my pain and in my ignorance of who he is, as well as my inability to see how, over time, having a child had become an idol for me, I questioned his goodness, and I wavered on whether or not I could really trust him. I wondered where he was in the middle of my pain and in my suffering. Another one of the areas in which I've faced great struggle over the years has been in the area of drug and alcohol addiction. The road of addictions is a dark and insidious path to walk. It makes great promises to fulfill one's desires for things like pleasure, freedom from pain, alleviation of fear, forgetting, vengeance, and a host of other things as well. But it is a road that in the end threatens to take everything from you, and if you stay on its path, it will. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. It is a road of unavoidable and unapologetic slavery at the very root of which lurks false pride, selfishness, unbelief, and lust. Idolatry, too, is at the forefront of my addiction. Sadly, more than once in my life, these addictions have left me in a wasteland of barrenness and brokenness. About three years ago, I cried out to God for help as I was facing one of those times of darkness and brokenness. God in his mercy gave me the desire, and he made the way for me to seek out and to go through biblical counseling right here at this church. Even though I had been raised in the church and I had made a profession of faith in Christ early on in my life, I had never gone through anything like what I was about to experience in biblical counseling. For the first time in my life, I began to see, to know, and to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's word is sufficient for depression. It is sufficient for addiction. It is sufficient to speak to our pain of searing loss and to any and all painful suffering or trials that we might go through or have to face in this lifetime. One of my favorite verses quickly became 2 Peter 1.3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness everything we need, not just some things, but everything. Edward T. Welch, in his book, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave, says this, the scriptures point us to Jesus Christ. It is his story. Our liberation comes through a person, not a system of ideas and principles. Everything we need for life and godliness ultimately comes through our knowledge of him, Jesus Christ. Some of the best advice that my biblical counselor gave me was to spend time in the word of God every single day, whether I felt like it or not, and to cry out to God in prayer that he would give me the desire to love him and to know him and to love his word, obey it, and to walk in it. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm reminded of a sermon that Chase Bowers preached here not all that long ago where he said that he often has people come in and ask him what the will of God is for their lives. And I hope that I'm quoting him correctly in his response in which he says, his will for us is not mysterious. It's right here in this book, the word of God. Get to know the breadth of it, the depth of it, the length of it. Spend time reading it, pouring over it, studying it, and learning to love it. With God's help and with all of the praise, glory, and honor unto him, he has given me that desire to get into his word over the last couple of years. And it has been life-changing for me to get to know him. I certainly am not perfect. And there are days where I still struggle to do what Kim wants to do. I still struggle with the pull of the flesh. And I still face days where darkness seems to close in around me. But the difference is instead of running away from God in those moments and shaking my fist at him, wondering where he is and questioning his goodness, I am now able to run to him, worshiping Jesus for the gift of the cross of Christ, knowing that he understands dark days and that he can relate to pain, suffering, and struggle. I run to the word of God and to the Lord in prayer and the days when it hurts, when I'm tempted or when I feel alone. As I read the word, I prayerfully ask that God would use it to show me my sin and to bring about conviction and genuine repentance in my life. And then I choose to rejoice in who he is, for he is our all-sufficient, all-sovereign, all-knowing, mercifully compassionate, and graciously kind God of hope, just to name a few, who is worthy of all of our praise, all of the time, no matter what we're going through. A beautiful gift that I've received and that I've experienced firsthand is that as we take our eyes off of ourselves and as we focus on him, he fills our life with hope and wonder, peace, joy, and purpose. In closing, I'd like to share with you a few more paragraphs from the book, Addictions, A Banquet in the Grave. Welch says, but for some reason, God speaks differently than we would expect. He is patient and he speaks gently to us. He actually woos us like a bridegroom courting his bride. He tries to make a relationship with him look as attractive as it really is. He is the one who says, I love you, first. One way he does this is by inviting us to a banquet more wonderful than we could imagine. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Isaiah 55, one through two. This is reason to change. Have you ever received an invitation so beautiful? Probably not. When was the last time that you were invited to something incredibly costly and the only thing that you, the only thing you had to bring was nothing? If you did receive such an invitation, you would probably ask for the fine print. There would have to be a catch, and there is. The catch is that bringing nothing is too much for most people. We come to the door, and we offer sobriety, great sorrow, self-loathing, and promises to be better tomorrow. But God asks for nothing. In fact, he requires nothing. Anything else disrespects the greatness of God's generosity, and it underestimates the cost of the feast.
It would be like slipping a buck to someone who just saved your life and telling him, here, have a cup of coffee on me. If you want to do something, be humbled by the love bestowed on you. Be thankful for the gift that you could never repay. Remember every day that it was not free. The reason that we're able to enter with nothing is because Jesus Christ paid the full price for our entrance. This is why the cross of Christ is the focus of so much praise. It was there that Jesus paid our way to a banquet with the Father. We honor him when we simply believe and enter. John 6, 29. Thank you for letting me share. appreciate Kim sharing so bravely her story. And um, I love what she said where she said that God is with us in the darkness. God does not forget about us. God does not leave us there alone. We've seen in David's life in this scripture that he was right there. So focusing on and embracing God's faithfulness creates this great exchange from despair to hope. Psalm 42, 6, in that same chapter we looked at earlier, David says, my soul is cast down within me. And again, he doesn't stop there. He says, therefore, I remember you. I remember you. So powerful to create this habit, this, as Kim put it, even if you don't feel like it or not, This habit of remembering who God is, remembering what he's done, getting a journal out and writing in it daily of the great things that God has done and how amazing God is. David did this often. He referred to God in many different ways, including a refuge, a strength, strong tower, shield, fortress, hiding place, rock, steadfast love among many others. And you see this principle played out in his life. It's such a valuable lesson for us all. We also have this guarantee of faithfulness. In the past few months, we've been studying the story of Abraham. And in their story, we've seen time and time again of God being faithful, even when his people are not. You'd like to turn to Hebrews chapter six. We're gonna read a little bit about the story of Abraham, kind of in review, but to help us remember God's faithfulness. Hebrews chapter six, starting in verse 13. says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. 
We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we are promised this hope, but in this passage, we're challenged to grab hold of it. That hope is there for us, but it's not something that just magically comes to us. We are called to hold with that hope, to have this hope as an anchor to our soul and to hold fast to it. To me, this picture of an anchor and this picture of holding fast in 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 my mind, I'm picturing a storm, a storm that you've maybe never experienced before and maybe you've seen it in movies where the wind is blowing and and the waves are, are high and it's dark outside and you see all of this crashing around you and all you can do is hold on. All you can do is hold on for dear life. And this is what Hebrews is saying here. He's saying, the author of Hebrews is saying, hold fast to this hope. It can be the anchor of your soul. Tim Keller gives us some excellent insight into this hope in his book, Hidden Christmas. He says, if God was only holy, which is moralism, he would have just demanded that we suck it up and pull ourselves together. If he's only holy, it's just like, all right, get with the program. Follow these principles, follow the commands and and just deal with it and and get on with life. He says if if he was just an all-accepting God of love, like relativism, where God just accepts everybody, he would have just overlooked evil and sin and embraced us. Neither the God of moralism or the God of relativism would have bothered with Christmas. See, the biblical God is infinitely holy, so our sin couldn't just be shrugged off. He's also infinitely loving, knowing that we can never climb to him, so he came down to us. Christmas means then that for you and me, there is all the hope in the world. We can't get to God on our own and all our good works and all our things we do to try to impress him. We can't earn his love. We can't make to him through our striving and our efforts. We also can't just say, you know what? I'm loving, everyone else is loving. God is a God of love, so I guess we're all good, right? There's still something that needs to be done with our sin. And what he did was send the greatest gift ever imaginable, his son Jesus, as this gift that brings all the hope in the world. This time of year, we take extra time to focus on the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1.14. This gives us the opportunity to go from despair to hope. The name Emmanuel that we just sang about, God with us, allows us to live in his faithfulness today not just a future hope of restoration. I want you to get that. I want you to hear that very clearly. Oftentimes in Christianity and in in Christian circles and in small groups, we talk about a day and we even sang about it today that he's coming soon and we look down the road for future restoration. 
But we often miss the fact that we have Emmanuel, God with us today. We have this living hope, Jesus Christ, today. We don't have to look all the way down the road, although that's gonna be amazing and it's gonna be special. That time with God, that loved ones that have gone before us are experiencing today, we have that hope. But we also have today a hope for today, Emmanuel, God with us, the opportunity to be with him. He who promised is faithful. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See, if anyone had a chance for despair and to feel depressed, it'd probably be somebody who we'll be focusing on in the next month or so, and her name is Mary. You look at Luke chapter one and you see God coming to her through an angel to tell her the news. And from what we see as good news, for her at the time, an unmarried woman is not really good news. You think about what she was facing. She's unmarried. She has a future husband who is now questioning She has family and friends that are instantly judging. Imagine there was social media back then. And she would have been shredded. And here's Mary hearing this news. She's poor. She's facing certain outcasts. And these are her words in Luke chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55 says, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever." you see that Mary found hope in a difficult, difficult situation. A desperate situation, a situation that is gonna cause her a lot of pain, a lot of agony, a lot of ridicule. But instead of going to despair and diving into despair, instead of hiding, instead of just looking inward, she finds hope in the Savior that she's carrying. She finds hope in the one who will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And even in those moments, even in those moments, she's able to find hope and find rest in her Savior. See, hope in extreme despair is often absent. We often get focused on the issue, we get focused on the problem and There's no way I can stand up here and dismiss any of that because the reality is that that despair and that darkness is true. 
It's things that are just weighing people down almost to the point where it's, it can be felt. It's so thick. This despair and this darkness. So we don't stand up here and we don't tell you and, and encourage you to just to push it away and, and bury it. That's not a solution. But the solution is found in time in God's word, in getting help when it's needed, in reaching out to others, maybe reaching out to be part of a small group that maybe you haven't been part of before, and getting community around you to encourage you to walk with you through this dark time so that you can look back and see that God is always faithful. He's always faithful. One of the things that I thought about when I was considering this idea of despair, this gift exchange of despair where we have nothing to offer and God offers us hope is a friend of mine that I went to school with, his name is Dave and his family has been going through a horrible situation. About 18 months ago, his daughter was diagnosed with cancer. She was diagnosed uh, with this form of cancer that really she shouldn't be with us today. She shouldn't have made it past six months. So her name's Gabby. She lives up in Long Island. And for all this time, I've been following their story. He posts things that are posts of despair. He posts things that are posts of hope. He's a believer in Jesus and so is she. And their family has been a great testimony of walking through struggle, walking through trial, and even facing right now, at this moment, almost certain death barring a miracle. She is home with her family beyond physical help anymore, beyond the ability to have any more treatments. 16 years old. So I, I asked uh, Dave to take a minute to share his thoughts on despair versus hope. And he graciously took the time this weekend to write this encouragement to you guys as a church that we'll finish with. This is Dave speaking. We like to say that we have double hope talking about his family, the hope of healing on the earth and the hope of heaven. It's like the whole game is rigged in our favor. Even if we lose, we win. The notion that this life is short and insignificant in comparison to eternity is something we Christians never lose sight of. The brokenness of this world is supposed to make us long for heaven, which is our home, the world is not our home. To lose sight of that is to lose hope. If we lose our, our daughter, we will grieve, but not like those who have no hope. The resurrection is everything. If Christ was not raised, we won't be either, and our, our faith is silly and laughable. If Christ is alive, then we have a living hope, the firstborn from among the dead, and we can believe the promise that believers will follow in his footsteps. Don't get too attached to this world and anything in it. Get attached to Jesus and to heaven. 
Paul says, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things in Colossians 3. If you aren't intentionally thinking about heaven on a regular basis and praying your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, I would question the understanding and depth of your Christianity. So this is his statement and encouragement to you. They as a family have a double hope. They have the hope of physical healing, but it doesn't look good. But they have an even greater hope that is found in Jesus. Jesus. 